This is one DJ you don't want to fuck with. You got knocked the fuck out, man! Listen to James Hollywood Machikari on the morning hook with Chinatown. Monday through Friday at 8.15 Central Standard Time in the morning and rocking with Hollywood on Thursday at 7 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time only on WMMRDB Rockford. One thing I cannot stand is all these creators that are so-called experts. Hell, there's creators on these podcast platforms, YouTube, that have no experience whatsoever in club life and think they can go out there and talk about it. Hell, one of them couldn't make it through their probate time with the 1% club, then decided to go to a support club, didn't even stay there a year, and I'm sitting here, man, Dudes out here talking about freaking motorcycle clubs this, motorcycle clubs that, how to do this, how to do that. That's how messed up things have really gotten in the last few years. Anybody with a mic can get on and give advice. And these weak people that listen to this crap have no idea whatsoever what they're listening to. I always knew when new people came around the club, they would always use that why can't we all get along crap. You to tell somebody's new. Now you have these creators pushing this shit. Anybody that's been around long enough knows This is an argument that's been used for decades. It's never going to change. It's a tribal alpha male type of situation. I like to ask those guys. What happens if somebody shot one of your brothers? Are you going to forget about it? No. Or hey, maybe you would. Because this new generation is a bunch of putzes. They never been into something life-threatening or real hardcore. They say anything at that point. This show is about what the Banditos Motorcycle Club and other motorcycle clubs faced in 1983. A hearing... In front of the Judiciary Committee in Washington, D.C., led by Strong Thurman. That's when clubs were really under attack. Yeah, we have profiling today, but it ain't like it was. So don't let any of these putzes with a mic tell you any different. They have no clue whatsoever what the fuck they're talking about. We're going to go into that hearing. This is the full hearing from 1983. You guys make the decision 
if profiling and if the government's going to take our rights as bikers away is going to happen. I think it would have happened back in 83 compared to today. But you got to listen. But first, we got Nickelback coming up. Got to get you guys in the mood for this. And after this, the entire hearing.
another great classic rock and roll memory. WMMRBB Rockford. Okay, now we got the 1983 hearing of the Banditos Motorcycle Club. The outlaws were mentioned in there. This was an organized crime hearing led again by Strong Thurman. Here we go. Uh, was any effort ever made at any time to take pictures of you, uh, especially if you undressed in the nude? Yes, sir, there were. And what did it do with those pictures? What was the purpose in those? They, Mr. Well, did they St- take the pictures? Yes, Mr. Stimmick. Did you consent to it? I didn't say yes and I didn't say no. Are you afraid not to I was go afraid. Along? I was afraid I'd end up dead and I, I wanted to stay alive, so I did what they told me. I see. Mr. Stimmick took the pictures at the Sobrius Motel on Christmas night, the 25th. Then until early morning of the 26th. What was the purpose uh, in taking those pictures? Excuse me? Why did they take those pictures? What did they do with those pictures? Mr. Stimmick. How's that? Mr. Stimmick would take the pictures of various women and sell them. And sell them? Yes. Where is he now? He is in jail awaiting sentencing. How's that? He's in jail awaiting sentencing. He's in jail. Oh, he's in jail now, you say? Yes. Something this letter. I've just received a letter here from, what is it, Thunder Guard Motorcycle Club, 525 Meeting Street, Charleston, South Carolina, dated March the 2nd, 1983. In closing, a clipping from the News and Courier, dated Thursday, February 24th, 1983. Heading of the clipping is alleged outlaw bikers grilled by lawmakers. Uh, first paragraph of which reads uh, Senate committee sought information in vain Wednesday from two reputed members of what Senator Strom Thurmond contends is an outlaw motorcycle gang, a group which, with operations in Aiken. That hearing is I think that hearing was before the permanent subcommittee of the Senate and under the um, Government Operations Committee. Uh, However, along with that clipping came this letter 
Dear Sancho, uh, no, dear Sancho Strom Thurman, so this letter is being sent to you concerning the article that appeared in the Post Courier newspaper Thursday, February 24th. The article written by reporter Mary A. Glass, titled Alleged Outlaw Bikers Grilled by Lawmakers, is the one we are talking about. The Thunder Guards of, Charles, uh, of Charleston were named along with the Hell's Angels of Charleston as being on the list of reputed dangerous motorcycle gangs. We think it is slanderous to us and our reputation to be named as such, especially when there is nothing on record to justify our name being included on such a list. We have been operating in the Charleston area for seven years and have never been on the outside of the law. There is no record of us being involved in any unlawful activity. All of the members work every day on legal jobs and the club is our hobby and pastime. There's a long list of community activities that we are a part of, but we don't think it is necessary to go into that right now. We believe our name was included because we are active in the area, not because we are dangerous or a gang, since this article with information from you and the FBI has been made public with our name included. We feel it is no more than right for you to issue another statement clearing our name from any wrongdoing and removing our name from your list and your investigation. We cannot afford to sit around and wait for something to happen, therefore we are taking steps to do our part to make sure this article has not and will not tarnish our name and our standing in this community. We should carry on our activities and await your reply. Respectfully, Gregory C. Sumter for the Thunder Guards Motorcycle Club. The article referred to was the result of a, of a hearing by another committee. However, I want to say to these people we expect to investigate uh, any illegal activities of motorcycle gangs regardless of who they are, where they are, where they're located. And uh, there will be no intimidation of me so far as I'm concerned. I expect to to bring out the facts for the good of the public and for the Congress. If there's any error been made in any way uh, against any people, uh, that can be corrected. Uh, I don't think there's any error been made by this committee and such. And I, I'm not familiar with just of what went on in the other committee altogether. Now, is there anything else you this? No, sir. Uh, is there anything else you want to tell the committee before we adjourn? Anything else you want to tell us? No, sir. I'd just like to thank Mr. Miller. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here because I didn't have the nerve to get up here before. Mm. And I would like to thank you for your patience. Well, we want to express our appreciation for your parents here and telling us your entire story. 
and, and just what occurred from the time you were kidnapped from then on. Thank you very much. Thank you. You and I excuse me. Mr. Miller, I want to thank you for accompanying her. Thank you, Mr. Uh, we, uh, we appreciate that. Now we'll ask the room to be cleared for the next witness. Clear the room for using drugs on her 11th birthday. As an old lady, Barbara worked as a topless and nude dancer. She accompanied the gangs on group runs in various parts of the country. The first man she was an old lady for is serving time in prison for rape. The second man she was an old lady for, James Opie, was a past officer of the Shreveport, Louisiana chapter of the Banditas Motorcycle Gang and operated a topless bar in Texas. James and Barbara are now married and have become very active in the church, speaking out against the biker life and drugs. We want to welcome you here and thank you for your parents. I've always won. Yes, I have. You're not listening. And <laughs> uh, anything else we need to say before we start? I'm just asking you to tell that story. Well, uh, Mr. Opie, would you uh, uh, just tell us the story, how you got first connected with these gangs, and then from then on, just bring us up to date as briefly as you can. Just uh, okay. Just... My, my brother was in the service, and when he came back from Vietnam, he got involved in a. He bought a bike and got involved in a small bike group over by Fort Hood, and uh, that's while he was still in the service. And this this is my identical twin brother, and then he met some bikers in San Antonio that later became uh, Banditos. It was a different bike club. And, but at this time, he, he had never met a bandito, but he came back to Louisiana on vacation from time to time from Fort Hood. And I eventually bought a bike, and when he got out of the service, we just started riding around together. And I was working at Western Electric, and I met a former bandito who was out there who, who had been a member of the Shreveport chapter four years prior to this. And I started hanging out with him, and, and uh, I ended up riding to Houston with him to talk to the banditos down there to see about starting another chapter in Shreveport. Well, do you want to go ahead and just bring us up to date? Uh, uh, Basically, it's to your responsibilities and duties as president of the... Uh, okay, well, I, well, I was the first two, about the first two years I was a bandit, I wasn't a president. I wasn't really even an officer. Uh, I think I became vice president, and then David Wall got out of federal prison and he took over the chapter, and later on he became a national officer. I became president of our chapter. And as far as the, the Bandito organization, at that point in time, the president was just in charge of, uh, you know, he appointed his own officers as far as sergeant arms, secretary, treasurer. Um, he was in charge of meetings when you, when you had a meeting, and he had the last say as far as your chapter go. We were pretty much on a vote. Now, I'm, I'm talking about my chapter because I can tell you exactly what we did in my chapter. And we, we generally always worked on a vote of the members to see what we wanted to do. But I always had the, when I was president, I always had the last word if, uh, on anything. Pretty much a chairman of, you know, the chapter just 
I had to make, you know, decisions on what to do in certain areas, you know, like if somebody went to jail or something, it was pretty much left up to me to tell everybody what to do. Mr. Opie, how does a person become a national officer in the Bandito Motorcycle Gang, and did you ever try to be elected to a national office? Uh, they're not elected. The only time I ever remember us ever having an election is when uh, our national president got convicted of murder, and then we had a we had one, his vice president became president, and we had one election to see who we wanted for national president. Other than that, the national, the national president will, uh, he appoints who he wants as his national officers, as far as secretary and treasurer and sergeant at arms. They're appointed officers. You Is don't get elected. elected by the rest of the members, the national president? Uh, once you get, once we had a national officer, uh, the whole time I was in there, there is no election. He's, he's just it. Well, how does he first get in? What does he do to get in to start with? Well, the whole time I was in there, there was only two. And uh, after Don Chambers went to prison, then the national vice president just immediately became president. And, uh, and he was appointed by Don Chambers, so no, nobody really disputed it. And then a couple years later, the Earth's or so we had an election because, you know, everybody, somebody wanted this guy or that. A little, little, somebody wanted to be president, you know, so they put in their bid and got some support from this chapter and that chapter, and we had one election, and after that there was never anything said about it. Now, as president of your chapter, what were your duties and responsibilities? Principally just to, to make fast decisions, you know, on what to do in certain cases, you know. And to give pretty much, pretty much just be a boss. What I, unless we were in a meeting where we were just discussing something, what I said went. If I told somebody to do something, it, we did it right then. Like if we was out on the street or out on a run, or, or uh, if I told the members of my chapter that to, that we needed to do something in certain circumstances, and that's what we did. I had the last word on it. Mr. Opie, while I remember the Bandidos Motorcycle Gang, were there any wars or territorial disputes with other gangs? And if so, would you please explain? When I first became a, well, to answer it right off the bat, yeah, we were continually in wars with other gangs. But when I first became a Bandito, we were, we were what we called, we were partying with the pagans. In other words, we were on friendly terms with them, and they were in Houston. And then something came down in Houston. Usually it, usually it broke out. Just like uh, Butch had said earlier, just you get in a fight, two different clubs get in a fight, might be in a bar bragging about their club or something, and the next thing you know, we were at war with the pagans. And so we got war with them, and they moved out of Houston and moved back into what we consider their area over on the East Coast. And from the time I'd been in, we'd, we'd been at war with the outlaws, and then about the time I was getting out, we were friendly with the outlaws, we were partying with the outlaws, and the same with the Hells Angels, on and off, depending on what stupid incident or... or, or Somebody that was drunk started a fight with another club or something. You end up with a just the war. Was it was it jealousy uh, between two gangs or, or among gangs where more than one gang operated in the city, for instance? Oh yeah, we if they if they were in what we considered our cities, like in the south, or we was in theirs. We were there as guests, and you didn't you didn't start a chapter. You didn't try to crank up a your group in their territory. There was, there was definite 
animosity towards that kind of stuff. Like if I went to California to party with them, that'd be fine. But if I ever was to try to start a bandito chapter in the area, it could it get real sticky. Same with them coming into what we considered our areas. Well, was the country divided into territories and it was understood that one gang would have this state or so many states, another gang, other areas? I guess, I don't think it was ever, I don't ever remember us having, now we've parted with the pagans and the angels and the national officers have got together, but I don't ever remember ever having a meeting that says, look, here's how we're going to divide this up. As, as far as the major organizations and major clubs getting together and sitting down and saying, it just so happened that the, bandit, the banditos happened to be in the south according to your map, you know, you've got that chart up there, and that's where they, that's where they started, and the Hells Angels started, and they just kind of grew up over there, but there was never any meeting that I could ever think of where outlaw national officers got together at the different clubs and said, this is ours, let's divide this all up and we'll do it. They just happened to grow up in that area and they decided they were going to keep it. Uh, were you ever involved in any arsons or bombings while a member of the banditos? Yeah, I firebombed another little club once. It came over and shot my house up. And then I set one, I set one bomb on a go-go joint, but it never went off. Have you ever served time in prison? No, sir. Were you ever involved in any way in any contract murders while a member of the banditos? Yes, I was, in, I was arrested in 1972 on a first-degree murder charge and, and later released as a material witness, but it, the, the murder itself was a contract murder. Mr. Opie, I understand that while a bandito, you owned a club where bandito old ladies worked as new dancers. Now, where did the money these women earn go and what was it used for? First of all, I'd like to clear that up. I never owned a club. I ran a club for another bandito who owned the business. The banditos owned the club. A bandito. Not the, the banditos as an organization did not own any clubs when I, I was see. in. The, the, a band, one bandito who owned a novelty company and he owned that business and a couple other bars in Corpus Christi. Now I managed a bar for him. I see. And uh, as, as far as the, the other part of your question about the bandito ladies. Yes, we worked them. That, the, that was part of the idea of making the clubs work so we could, we could work our gals and uh, make money within our own organization. Well, did prostitution activities go on there? No. If they went on there, it was strictly against our rules and regulations of the club. If, 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 if any of the gals had danced for us, it was a topless club, it wasn't a nude club. Hmm. And if any of the gals in there, we had strict regulations. We gave every girl a, sh uh, a sheet of our rules for working in our club. And, and if they were caught in uh, soliciting for prostitution, then we'd fire them. If, caught if they were caught by, the, by us. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not going to say that none of them ever did it. Huh. And I'm not going to say because uh, I, I don't know. I, if I didn't catch them, I wouldn't know, you know. But I'm saying as far as the rule in our club, if we caught them as the management, then we would, uh, then we would fire them. We wouldn't let them work in the club.
Mr. Opie, how heavily were bandito motorcycle gang members involved in the retail liquor business while you were a member? Very, uh, I only knew one person that was. How's that? I only knew one bandito that was in, in Corpus Christi, the man we ran the bars for. When I was a bandit, now I've been out for nearly five years now. But when I was, when I was working, there was just one person that, who owned retail liquor businesses, such as clubs and uh, go-go clubs. Uh, how many old ladies did you have as a bandito and what was expected of them? Uh, I had, generally, I just had one. In, at one point when I lived in El Paso, I had as many as three. Um, they, would, they were expected to uh, go to work and bring me home their money. Hmm. Yeah, what do you mean by work? Do you mean to go to go work to in work? the clubs where I, took, where, where I set it up for them to work? See, a lot of, but I only ran it. I was only in the retail business for about the last year that I was in the club. I used to just take a gal and I'd work her in, in a club. Or I'd, make it, or I'd work with a club owner like I did in El Paso and I'd make an agreement with him to, to work girls and I'd, I'd get girls for him. Now, what part did illicit drugs play in the back of way of life? Well, Myself, personally, I was always doing drugs. I, I wasn't a day go by I didn't do any drugs. It's, ju it's just a part of the way of life. You just, part they're there the and you do it. Pardon? Part of the business. No. Uh, when I was in now, I'm sure there were bikers selling drugs, banditos selling drugs. Uh, but as far as, as far as me having any knowledge of any wholesale production or distribution on an organized level, you know, there might be a bandito in this town that would be dealing a little bit of drugs or one over here, you know, and I'd get some drugs from him, some marijuana, something like that. But as far as just wholesale, organized operation of, of drug sales or production, I knew of none as a bandito on any large scale. Yes, sir? Were you involved anybody else or just other motorcycle gangs? I, I personally uh, was at war my, myself in my chapter, but not as, a, not as the Bandito Motorcycle Gang, but myself personally, I took on a grudge against some uh, nightclub owners in Bossier City, but I never, do, I never did it as a, as a club, a Bandito thing. It was, they wouldn't let us in their clubs, and so I just, you know, because we always got in the clubs and fought them, tore them up and stuff. Well, uh... You had guns and explosives? I always had guns. I always had guns, and, uh, but not explo explosives in the way of maybe a firebomb. And one time I, I got some uh, dynamite and, and built a bomb. It didn't go off. Which law enforcement group did you fear the most as a bandina gang member? I didn't fear any. Uh, law enforcement at all until I started making big money and then the people that were involved in money was the ones because it seemed like to me they always got the when the crook got so rich and so greedy that he kept stashing that cash back and uh, when we started making big money in Corpus Christi then that was that was starting to be a, a fear that we you know IRS or whoever it was that checked out all your income 
Mr. Opie, do you consider the outlaw motorcycle gangs to be a threat to our society? Sure. And why are you no longer involved in the Bandino motorcycle gang? Because in 19, uh, May of 1978, I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ and turned and uh, walked away from it. Is that the same thing? Yes, sir. Any other questions you want to ask? Yes, sir. Hmm? Yes, sir. Now, I would like to ask Ms. Opie a few questions, uh, Ms. Opie. Uh, Ms. Opie, how and when did you become associated with the Bandinos Motorcycle Gang? The first time I met my father, I was... Uh... Now, you read on there that my father was a member of the Bandinos Motorcycle Gang. And he was, but I was given up for adoption at birth. And my grandparents raised me. My grandfather was a psychiatrist, and my grandmother was a housewife. And I was raised by them until the time that they were both deceased. I was 11 years old. And when I was 12 years old, I went to find my real father. And when I met him, uh, the day I met him, he pulled up in a car, and he had five women in the car with him. And he wasn't wearing a motorcycle jacket or anything. He was wearing a suit. And I found out he was a bandito and he was also a pimp and that these were women that worked for him as prostitutes. And that was the first time I was ever involved with a motorcycle gang. Would you go ahead and tell us what happened to you after that? Oh, off and on after that, uh, I stayed with my real dad for two weeks and he got arrested in Lubbock. And I was arrested also there for possession of marijuana. He handed me his marijuana and told me to take it you know, because he knew that he'd get thrown in prison if he was caught with it. And so I took it, and they found it, and I received a probated sentence. Uh, my family that, was, that remained from my adopted family didn't know what to do with me. They didn't know quite how to deal with me because I had become so involved in drugs that they stuck me in mental hospitals, and they hired expensive psychiatrists to and try to take care of me. which family was that you're talking about? That was uh, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, who are essentially my brothers and sisters. Uh, they didn't know what to do with me, so they tried to help me the only way they knew how, and that was through psychiatric help and treatment. But by the time I was 16, I was in a halfway house, and it wasn't working. I just couldn't seem to stay away from doing drugs. I ran away from the halfway house with a guy that belonged to a small motorcycle gang in Houston, and uh, he didn't want to work. And I remembered that my dad's old ladies would go to work, and they earned a lot of money. So I told him, well, I remember how my dad made a birth certificate, so I'll make a birth certificate. So what? I knew how my dad had made birth certificates. You just take white paper ink, and you blot out all the dates, and you run it through a copying machine a couple of times till it comes out looking blank, and you type in what you want. Then you run it through a couple more times, and it looks original. And so I made me a birth certificate because I was only 16, and I went and started working as a stripper in Houston. And I made a whole lot of money, and that satisfied, you know, my hu he was my husband. We'd gotten married. In Houston, you say? Yeah. Well, in the strippers club, did you strip completely or just partially? Completely. Completely? Yes, sir. Go ahead. And uh, that marriage... We got married because his dad said that I couldn't stay there unless we were married. So we got married, and it didn't work out, and I left. And uh, I was living in an apartment, and a girl came, and she was staying with me. 
And her, her, the boyfriend that she had left to come stay with me was crazy. He was an ex-convict. He came and kicked in my apartment door, and he tore up my whole apartment. And so I went down to a bar where I knew that the banditos hanged out at, because I remember my dad was a bandito. You know, maybe I could, you know, find one of them that would help me. And there was a prospect, a bandito prospect in that bar that said he'd come stay with me and he'd help me. And he came and he stayed over at the house and, and he told me to tell everybody that I was his old lady. And, uh, and so I did. You know, that seemed safe. I knew that that guy would never come back if he knew that there was banditos staying with me. And uh, so he stayed with me and I met another guy that, that was a, a bandito. He wasn't a prospect. And... Uh, he was the kind of guy that, that, you know, parents don't ever want their daughters to meet. <laughs> and uh, he was really good looking and he wore all kinds of diamonds and he drove a, you know, big car and he was a bandito. And uh, he just sort of, I, I was swept off my feet by him and I went ahead and went with him, and, which got me in, you know, I didn't get in real big trouble with the president who had the guy that was a prospect. I didn't get in real big trouble, but they got mad at me because I went and left their prospect and went with another bandito member. But uh, I stayed with him and he committed some aggravated rapes in San Antonio, which he's serving time for right now. And uh, we, they let him out on bail in San Antonio. And we went back to Houston, and the policemen surrounded the house one night, and they kicked in the door, and they came running in. They took him to jail. And Jim, who was called Clumsy then, came into town the next day, and he told me we'd go visit Shylight in jail, and then he'd take me back to El Paso with him. And so I said, fine. You know, I, by then I was scared to death of uh, Shylight. He just scared me after I saw what happened, you know, to the girls. I, he just scared me. And... Uh, so I went with Jim to El Paso after we went and saw Shylight, and he said it was okay. And so I was with Jim from then on. You all are married now, baby. Yes, two kids. <laughs> two children. Yeah. Hmm. Are you familiar with the property colors which some old ladies wear, and did you ever wear them? Yes, sir, I am familiar with them, and yes, sir, I did wear them. Uh, his chapter, the old ladies weren't allowed property colors or property belts. They've got property belts also that aren't just the patch, but there's a belt also that, that you can wear. I had a property belt, and then uh, when I was Shylight's old lady, there was another old lady there that was his wife, and she had the property colors. When she ran away from him and left, she ran off and left with a sugar daddy, I inherited the property colors. Uh, so, yes, I know what they are. That It just signifies that you're a property instead of, of a second old lady or something. You're a property of that specific bandito, and the other banditos can't misuse you sexually or, or physically because you're a property. In other words, if you're a property colors, the other banditos will let you alone because that signifies that you belong to one man. That's right. That's right. Now, Ms. Opie, does a biker usually have more than one old lady? It depends. There are some bikers uh, that have as many as five, and then there's some that restrict themselves to just one. Uh, it's hard to say. It's hard to categorize because so many guys are different. There are a lot of them that just don't get serious, and they'll keep a lot of them to keep a lot of money coming in. And then there's some that'll get kind of serious, and they'll just have one. Because obviously, if, if, if you're 
really serious about each other or you really like each other, another woman just, you know, doesn't really fit in well. But if it's, if it's just a guy who just doesn't really care about uh, the girls, he'll usually have more than one. Uh, Ms. Opie, were you ever required to act as a prostitute while you were an old lady for the banditos? My first old man I turned tricks for, but it wasn't anything like, I didn't go stay in a hotel and, and you know, just, I had specific sugar daddies that, you know, just really liked me and, and I liked them and, yes, I, I would uh, sleep with them for money. But when, after I became his old lady, I, I never, he would not allow me to uh, turn tricks. Were you required to make a certain amount of money in the night while working as a new dancer? When I was a nude dancer for my first old man in Houston, I had to make 150 every night. When I became uh, Jim's old lady and I wasn't a nude dancer and I wasn't prostituting, the amount fell to $50 a night as a topless dancer. But yes, I was required to make a certain amount of money. You required to make a certain amount as a prostitute or as a nude dancer? Yes, sir. Were the girls who were dancing in the club with you also bandita old ladies? And if so, where did the money they earned go? Uh, and where did your money go that you earned? Every bit of money that I ever earned went directly to my old man. The uh, money that the other girls, some of the girls were bandita old ladies and some of them weren't in the clubs in Houston, was a mixture of different women. Almost all the women, though, regardless of whether they were biker old ladies or not, they gave all their money to some man. I never knew a girl that worked in one of those bars that didn't give her money, all of it, to some man, whether he was a biker or whether he wasn't. There what, were all, what did you do with your money? I gave it all to the man who was protecting me and taking care of me. You gave all of your money to the man you were living with? That's right. Suppose you didn't earn the required amount. I always did. <laughs> Uh, I just didn't ever want to take that chance. <laughs> well, if you had not earned the amount they expected you to, then what would have happened? I would have probably got uh, beat up. Probably gotten beaten up? Not by Jim so much. See, Jim and I kind of fell in love, <laughs> and I don't think he would have hurt me. Uh, the first old man that I had of, he, he beat me up on other occasions, so I know that it wouldn't have been any difference. I, I would have gotten beat up. And they would have beat you up if you hadn't earned what they expected you to earn. Yeah. <clears throat> I understand that the first bandita you were an old lady for is in prison on charges of aggravated rape. Now, what kind of individual was he, and how did he treat you? That's the fellow I told you about at first, Shylight, and they called him Shylight the Fox. And, and uh, just because in, in slang terms, Fox was just somebody that was just really good looking and really smooth talking. And uh, at first, he just sort of swept me off my feet. And, and that's when I became probably addicted to drugs. I'd always messed around with drugs, and I'd always used, uh, especially LSD, just frequently. But I became addicted to a drug called THC that is just really heavily trafficked around Houston. And uh, 
he held me in sort of a, a, a fear type pattern. He was okay. He could do all the drugs that he wanted to and he was fine until he started drinking. And when he started drinking, he would just go completely crazy. And, and when we were at work, the girls, and we saw that he, was, he had come into the club, if he started drinking, we would become terrified because he, he would just commit terrible acts of violence when he was drinking. In other words, his liquor and his drugs wouldn't mix. Well, his just plain liquor, if he, even if he wasn't doing drugs, just when he drank, and I knew a couple of uh, banditos that were that way, just as soon as they start drinking, you just need to find a place to get away from them. And he threw an ashtray at me one time from across the room. I was so loaded I couldn't even move. I was just sitting there, and he threw an ashtray at me because I wasn't up making sure that the other guys had plenty of, you know, stuff to drink, and he broke my front tooth and uh, just because I was sitting there, and it was only because he was drinking. And that's just, you know, that's the kind of guy he was. He was, he was all right at first, and then he kind of got you into a trap, and, and you became held there by fear. Is that THC you're referring to a derivative of marijuana, or just what is that? It's a derivative of marijuana, and I don't know what chemical additives it has in it, but it is so strong, and it's a type of a hallucinogen, although it's not as strong as LSD. It uh, is a mind-altering drug, and, and it causes uh, extreme states of anxiety, uh, you get real paranoid, and you become afraid, and you want to isolate yourself. Is THC the same as tetrahydrocannabinol? It's the active ingredient in a marijuana plant, yes. Um, how did you become... Um, Mr. Opie's old lady. Uh, when Shylight went to jail, uh, after they came and arrested him again in Houston, because I guess he had jumped bond, uh, Jim came to town, and he told me that I, I would go with him, he would call me his old lady, and I could work in El Paso, and nobody would bother me. And so I said, all right. I was in that type of lifestyle because I wanted to be. And okay. I was in that type of lifestyle because I wanted to be like, the girl that was behind the screen, I was never forced into anything. And I had options. I, I really did. I always had a good option and a secure option background that I could fall back on. But I was in that type of lifestyle. He didn't force me to go with him. I wanted to go. Mm. Well, how is it that you are no longer an old lady for the banditos? Well, I... Uh, I realized that I was on a road that I, I couldn't get off of myself. I was either going to end up overdosing myself with drugs, which I had tried to do on several occasions, just take so much that I'd never come back down, or I was going to, I'd either get killed somehow because I was always in trouble for my mouth. I, I've always thought that I was intelligent and I never failed to let anybody know, and it usually got me in pretty big trouble around some of those guys. So I'd either been dead or, or killed myself, and I didn't have a way out. And uh, like Jim, I met, I met Jesus as my personal savior, and everything just changed. My whole life has changed. I've, I've had a new start. I've had a new beginning, and I am no longer bound by anything. I'm just free, and, and, 
and not free in the term of a hippie type free. I just I feel a peace inside myself that I don't have to look for anything to fulfill any desires in my heart because the Lord has fulfilled all those desires. Ms. Opie, do you consider the outlaw motorcycle gang mem members a threat to our society, and could you explain why if you do? I feel that they are because I feel like that there are children being born into that type of situation. And I feel that it's detrimental that there should not be children born in that type of situation, but I also am very much against an abortion type situation also. I feel that our society has basically degenerated so far that there are so many things that threaten the American home, that threaten the American family, and bandito motorcycle gangs or, or pagan motorcycle gangs or outlaws or hell's angels are only a part of the things that, f that threaten our society. But yes, I do think that they do. Aside from the ch children's standpoint, do you feel the way they operate and with drugs and robberies and violence that they are a threat to our society? I feel like most of the teenagers that become involved with them come somewhat from the same type of background that I do. They're runaways from home. Their home life was not a life that they felt secure in. They were unhappy. Whether they were physically abused or not, I was never physically abused. As a child, I had everything that, that money could buy because my father was very wealthy in Houston. Uh, I feel like kids that grow up... You're speaking about your father, you mean you... My psychiatrist father, the father that raised me, yes. And he was, uh, how was he related to you? He was my grandfather, really. Your grandfather. Right. Go ahead. Uh, I feel like teenagers, when they're lonely and they're lost and they're looking for someone to care for them, they'll accept it from whatever point of view it comes in. All these uh, big boom growths of these satanic churches, and the Jim Jones thing, the Bandito motorcycle gangs, the other motorcycle gangs, there are kids out there and they're lonely and they're hurting and they're turning towards something that'll give them security. And, and they'll turn towards motorcycle gang for security. They see those guys as being really strong, as being able to protect them, and they'll turn towards them, especially a female, because they see it as a different type of lifestyle and as an exciting type of lifestyle, and they don't realize at all what they're getting involved in until they become so involved with drugs that they don't care. And so, yes, in that point of view, I do see it as a threat. Well, I want to express my appreciation to both of you, Mr. and Ms. Open. I want to congratulate you for, um, <clears throat> for changing your whole lifestyle. And I believe you're now good church members. Is that right? Yeah, and when we talk about the church, we don't mean a, a meeting of some bandito or, yeah. or Hell's Angel gang meeting. We mean a real it's church real that worships church. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Now, what church you belong to? We belong to Broadmoor Assembly of God in Shreveport, Louisiana. Louisiana. Well, we we commend you for your change of lifestyle, and uh, you have two children now, and so we appreciate you both. We know that you bring those up in the right way. Yes, sir. We will. Uh, thank you again for your parent chair and the contribution you made to this hearing. Thank you. Could I say one thing? Yes, sir. 
uh, as uh, Alan Spence had told me when he called me on the phone that, that one of the main purposes of this whole thing is, is to, sh to warn the American people what's going on and what, what, what they're facing with that. And I'd just like to make one statement for the record that the whole time I was a bandito, I never worked. And I, I think it only fair to tell the American people that they're supporting every outlaw motorcycle gang. It's their money that's keeping them in business. I, ne I never worked, I made my money off the American people and in legitimate business is what I'm talking about. And if they're gonna, if, if the American people continue to support uh, alcohol, topless dancing, prostitution, then it's gonna be next to impossible for these fellas to, to, to stop these organizations because that's where their money's coming from. It's coming straight from the American people. In a, in a willing, I mean, they're willing to get out and just and, and give it to them. Everybody that graces the door of a topless club can almost bet he's putting dollars in some biker's pocket. In other words, uh, the, the members of these motorcycle drugs, and we had his money. His family didn't get it, we got it. And, and they need to know the, the unsuspecting ones that are going in there for entertainment and stuff, and that may be their reason, but they can just about bet that every time they grace a topless bar or massage parlor and in other legal businesses such as that, pornography that's legal in some places, that they can just about bet that they're putting some money in some outlaw's pocket. I mean, they're putting it in big. Thank you. Anything else you'd like to say, Ms. Open? No, thank you. Well, thank you again for your parents, yeah. I think that completes the witnesses today and the committee now stands adjourned. motorcycle madhouse this morning don't forget to go over to subscribe to our youtube channel install insane throttle tv's channel over on roco as well as go get the insane throttle radio app over on google play rock on until next time